Welcome to Now Playing, the movie review podcast hosted by Stuart, Arnie, and Marjorie. This podcast is spoiler-filled and may contain harsh language. Listener discretion is advised. Today, we are discussing The Social Network, starring Jesse Eisenberg, Andrew Garfield, Justin Timberlake, and Brenda Song, directed by David Fincher. This is Arnie, co-host of Now Playing. Stuart in L.A. And Marjorie. And we're bringing an extra special podcast to Now Playing, one that we didn't exactly schedule, but we decided would be appropriate to make a Facebook fan page exclusive podcast. And as we all know, I'm a big fan of biopics, so I felt we had to do this. I mean, we all remember how much I love The Aviator, right? I, I am very surprised to be here for many reasons. I thought I was spending my October on slasher movies, but more to the point, yes, that was one of perhaps our most heated disagreements where I came down pro aviator and you declared it the worst thing you had ever reviewed for now playing. And now here we are doing another dark parable biopic. I, why Arnie? Why? Well, you know, Honestly, nothing can make me run screaming from a movie as if my hair was on fire more than if it's a biography, especially about a biography of a famous person. But Arnie, no one makes biographies about people like me. I'm not famous. Oh, no, Who no. the hell would go watch my biography? But there's the case of The Pursuit of Happiness. That's not a famous person. He per is se. very famous, actually. Yes. Aaron Brockovich. She just had big jugs. You're right. <laughs> and there are a few others where the people aren't necessarily public figures, but they had yeah. an interesting story. And so they paid. There tend to be labeled true stories when they are just common folks like you and I. And it's biopics when they're celebrities. But what drew me to this film was, first of all, the director. I'm a big Fincher fan. While I haven't seen Benjamin Button yet, I have to say that Seven and Fight Club are a couple of my all-time favorite movies, so anything he does, I'm willing to give a second look at. The casting looked good, the trailers looked good, and to be honest, I didn't know anything about the making of Facebook, but I did know that Mark Zuckerberg was suing to try to stop this movie's release, and that made me even more interested still. Plus, I'm a computer programmer, I thought I might learn a thing or two. Really? Not about programming per oh. se, but about... <laughs> World dominance? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Just about the in innovations that drive the 21st century social media. I thought there might be something interesting in there, and I wasn't wrong. Well, indeed, like you, Arnie, I always think a Fincher film is worth a look. I wouldn't go so far as to say he's made any of my very favorite films, but I do think Fight Club is his strongest, and I do think he works best when he's dealing with subject matter that's provocative, controversial. Some of those other movies he's made, I, I can't say I'm a big fan of The Game or Panic Room. He can get in kind of generic thriller mode, but when he's got something to say, he's a lot of fun to watch, and I thought that if anyone was going to find an interesting movie about Facebook, it would be him. Okay, I was really uninterested to see a movie about Facebook until I saw the trailer, and I thought the trailer was very powerful, especially with the version of Creep that they used, and mm -hmm. it was very haunting and dark, and I thought maybe it would be pretty decent. I love Jesse Eisenberg. I had no idea it was David Fincher, and shame on me for not knowing that, but a lot of times I don't like to pay attention to that because then you go in with a preconceived notion of what you like and what you don't like, or I like how he did this, didn't like how he did that. So I didn't even realize the same guy who did Fight Club until after the movie. Well, this isn't exactly what I would consider his normal film either. 
I was shocked that he was the one who made this as well, because as far as I know, he hadn't shown any interest in reality-based films. You know, yes and no. I mean, he Zodiac was a biography of the famous Zodiac killer. So in, in essence, he has done historical thrillers before, if, if you can call this a thriller. I guess it's kind of a thriller. Is this a thriller? No, I think it's definitely more of a drama. Yeah. Because then it had you on the edge of your seat many times with the emotional tension. Yes. So I would put it up there with a drama. You're right. It's tension. It's not thrills. But yeah. let me put it this way. Look, if I didn't hear the words coming out of their mouth, if the sound on the projector broke and I just saw these images, I would not be surprised if a man in a chainsaw came out of those dark <laughs> campus walls at some point and just killed everybody on there because it looks like a horror movie. I got to say, this movie is dark, visually, literally very dark film. It is. If we're going to talk about the visuals, a very attractive film, though. I it love seeing it. You know, I'm the kind of person who, because of cost and I have a home theater, I don't go to theaters that many times in a year. And if I do, it's usually for explosions. I usually go because I have to see it on the big screen, Iron Man 2 or something along those lines. To get me into a drama in theaters is a chore. I think the last one might have been Before Sunset. Mm. And... The fact is, I'm sitting there watching this, and I was just in awe of how much I was really getting out of seeing this on the big screen, and the depth of the blacks, and the sound in it. The score by Trent Reznor, I, I was really glad to have the theatrical experience on this. I agree. This is a very visceral experience. Yeah, if you are a person that tends to only go to movie theaters for action movies, or for big, epic movies, you ought to consider seeing this one, because it really carries the same weight as those, at least when when it comes to photography, I mean, whether they're doing rowing crews or the blacks or, yeah, Trent Reznor's score, there is just something always really amazing going on on screen. And who would have thought from a movie about Facebook? I mean, not exactly the most cinematic of ideas, really. No, it wasn't. But they managed to make it visually and audibly stunning with everything. And Trent Reznor did an amazing job, I thought, on the score because it wasn't in your face that it was Trent Reznor, but at the same time, every bit of music, I think, complemented the scene where it was enhancing any emotion you were feeling at that time. The wonderful thing about Reznor's score, having seen Lost Highway and Natural Born Killers as the two go-tos, it was wonderfully subdued for him. Yeah, not what I was expecting. They weren't songs. It was definitely orchestral. But you could tell, I mean, his touch was evidence because every now and then they drop a beat that could only be like, you know, I'm nodding my head. I'm like, I want to fuck you like an animal. And then I'll friend you on the Facebook. Well, before we talk about this movie too much, for those who haven't seen it, Stuart, why don't you give us a plot summary? Because everybody's referring to this as a movie about the creation of Facebook. I disagree. I say this is a movie about the guy who created Facebook. Well, the movie begins with neurotic Harvard undergrad Mark Zuckerberg, who is played by Jesse Eisenberg, obsessing over the importance of gaining admission to this school's elite social clubs while drinking at a college bar with his underage girlfriend. When Erica fails to share his interest in these cliques, the guy decides to belittle her future prospects, and she promptly dumps him right there on the spot. Depressed, Zuckerberg retreats to his dorm room, gets 
drunk and blogs about Erica's bra size on LiveJournal. Refusing to leave it there, he then is inspired to create Facemash.com, a site that juxtaposes illegally obtained co-ed headshots so that the campus can vote on which girl is the hottest. The cyber beauty contest ends up being so popular that the entire Harvard network crashes in a matter of hours, and Zuckerberg is called before a disciplinary board and put on academic probation. Zuckerberg was just having a little bit of vindictive fun, but soon realized he's on the path to creating something really big, perhaps the biggest innovation of communication since the advent of the internet, and that would be Facebook. While the rest of the social network plays out behind closed-door legal hearings, where Zuckerberg disputes testimony with other key players claiming credit and wanting money from Mark's enterprise. One lawsuit comes from Cameron and Tyler Winkervoss, wealthy twin jocks who originally approached Mark about creating an exclusive Harvard dating site, only to see the kid renege on their agreement and create Facebook instead. And the second lawsuit comes from Eduardo Severin, played by future Spider-Man Andrew Garfield, Zuckerberg's former business partner and his only friend who has felt pushed out of the company once Mark opens the office in Silicon Valley and brings in Napster co-founder Sean Parker, played by Justin Timberlake. Zuckerberg is forced to settle both lawsuits against him, while a debaucherous atmosphere of drugs and wanton intern sex created by Sean leads to his arrest for cocaine possession. But rather than all this bad news preoccupying Zuckerberg after his day in court, the last scene of the film finds him surprisingly obsessing over his Facebook status after sending a friend request to Erica the ex-girlfriend who cursed him to a life of unlikability. And I'm sure we'll talk about his relationship with Erica and everything else as we get into the movie. But I guess we'll start with first impressions. You're walking out of the social network. How do you feel? I actually was surprised that I liked it because I went in with just watching the trailer and the trailer was great. And I knew nothing about the story going in either. So this was a complete shock to me. I intentionally, when the movie was coming out, I knew I was going to see it, did not research it. So I couldn't compare the two. But I thought it was a really good, it's a very emotional movie. And it was done in such a way. And maybe there's hope for Andrew Garfield to be the next Spider-Man because him and Jesse Eisenberg really had some good interactions going. And you could feel the pain and tension between those two. I also walked out just really, really impressed. I don't know exactly what I was expecting. I knew I really wanted to see this opening weekend, but this movie stuck with me for several hours after I saw it. Some of the images and some of the moral conundrums. This isn't a black and white film. You know how, Stuart, when we did The Aviator, you said biopics basically say one thing. He was a genius, but he was an asshole. That's not exactly what this one does, although in a way it kind of does. I will make the argument it does. (laughs) It somewhat does, but the question is, how much of an asshole was he? Was he supposed to be villainized in this? Was he supposed to be lionized in this? And thinking about the fact that, you know, what was the first thing I did when walking out of the theater, not because of the movie I saw, but because it's what I do when I walk out of theaters is hop on my phone, check my email and my Facebook page. And so this kind of haunted me for an afternoon. Some of the things that went on and just some of the questions that it asked, some of the 
questions about friendship and about worth. I agree. It is a haunting portrait. It is a tragedy. And while that might have been anticipated, given that Fincher was behind the scenes, if you were just going into the Hollywood version of a Facebook movie, I think you would be taken aback at how strong this is. I mean, this should be the an underdog makes good story, right? This should be about Revenge of the Nerds, a kid who outsmarted everyone else in this class and became the world's youngest billionaire, right? Like, but that's not what we get at all. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Fincher and the writer, Aaron Sorkin, are not of the generation that came of age on the internet. This is not their culture. They are an older culture, and they look at cyber culture with a good degree of cynicism, and it just permeates the entire movie. This is, I would argue, a cautionary tale about what living online is like, and it comes from people who aren't accustomed to doing that. And that's probably the biggest surprise for me, is that it is a Facebook movie that does not plug Facebook. It is almost an anti-Facebook book movie. I consider myself one who straddles the two lines. I mean, I live and breathe social media, work in computers as my profession, but I'm not so young that I don't remember life pre-internet the way teenagers now with all their sexting and all these crazy things that they do online, their cyberbullying. You know, if I want to bully somebody, I had to follow them around the playground in my day, damn it. So <laughs> I'm kind of right there on that line. And I can see it from both sides. I agree with their cynicism, but also I understand the infatuation with all things technical. But again, you say it's a movie about Facebook. There's a couple things I want to say. I think that a movie about the creation of a website wouldn't be very interesting. And I don't think that were it not for the very public and bitter battles around this site, we wouldn't have this movie as popular as Facebook is. We don't have a making of Google movie. Oh, thank God, no. Because <laughs> who cares? It's a bunch of guys programming and figuring out algorithms. It's the real-life drama that inspired the book that inspired the movie. That said, I knew nothing going into this movie about Mark Zuckerberg. I'm always skeptical ever since I found out how much of the pursuit of happiness was fictionalized about any on-screen representation of a real-life individual. And what we're seeing here is an adaptation of an adaptation, and it's truth of the matter may be very tenuous. And I want to state that when we talk about Zuckerberg and we talk about all the other characters here, we're referring to the on-screen depictions only. Absolutely. We're not disparaging any person. We are merely commenting on the characters here that I believe to be strongly fictionalized scenarios based on real circumstances. Well, the source material, the the book, The Accidental Billionaires by Ben Meserick, was widely debunked. It did not get a lot of good critical reaction. It was considered poorly researched and that there was just a lot of things that he offered without hard evidence. So when they optioned the book into the movie, everyone just assumed that it would be turned into this underdog story because they didn't really have a lot of deep. They could get sued, frankly. They could get sued for perjury, but they constructed it in a very interesting way. They allow everyone to have their voice and their point of view. And so nobody is exactly slammed or put into slander. As badly as Zuckerberg comes off in this movie, it does allow him to have his own say, or rather his character is allowed to defend himself and rebunk some of the larger accusations against his character. I don't know. What do you think? Is this movie a slam piece against Zuckerberg? I don't think so, because I think it just portrays the realistic nature of something like that 
what you're doing. Eduardo was a terrible businessman. He should have read the contracts. And Zuckerberg was doing what he does best programming. And he was kind of manipulative. And I think he did steal the idea from the Winkle Vi. <laughs> I love that in the movie when they call him the Winkle Vi. Yes. But I think that that's what happens every day in business. And we just like to pretend that it's not happening. And the fact that it's out there and it's this little scrawny nerd who's doing this, it maybe makes it a little bit more acceptable because it's not the guy in the power suit doing it. I definitely think he was supposed to come off as a sympathetic character. And what you saw was initially the guy who was so longing for acceptance. He wanted to be in the cool clubs that impress the... He's talking to his girlfriend about how he can impress people, presumably other girls. And he's just so much of an outcast. He wants to be in the cool club, the Phoenix Club, and he's getting passed over. He he comes off at the beginning feeling like the kid who gets picked last in gym class. And then you get to see his rise to fame. But I would say he's not a villain in this. He seems very overwhelmed. I would say that the villain in this would be Justin Timberlake, who plays Sean Parker, creator of Napster, who walks into this movie like he came right out of a Sympathy for the Devil video and is just so slick and so well-dressed and so smooth-talking that I think that it's portrayed, in my opinion, that Zuckerberg is kind of seduced by Parker and the allure of the rock star lifestyle Parker represents. So he makes bad choices. But I definitely don't see it as a slam piece. The biggest slam is that he's somewhat inept. Somewhat? (laughs) This guy is completely awful. I mean, I think the beginning scene really sets up everything great. I mean, he has no social skills. This is a man that revolutionizes communication, and he can't look a girl in the eye and talk to her. He is terrible on this date. It is hilarious to me. This opening scene is just killer. It's six minutes of him boasting and demeaning and just being really weaselly. It's amazing that we can stay with this character after a date this bad. You got to admit, the guy is totally a jerk. Don't you wonder how he even got her in the first place to go out with him? Because it doesn't come off like he would be some sweet guy. He'd be like, all right, I'll go out with you. I think he was probably a dick to begin with. And maybe that was part of his charm is he's one of those guys that's going to treat you like shit. And then when it gets too bad, you just walk away. And that's what she did. But I can't imagine him ever being charming. She does acknowledge that he is going to go on to be very successful. And there must have been a part of her that thought, hey, this is a form of, of star fucking in a way that I'm attaching myself to someone that could really rise to fame. I mean, there's no doubt that Zuckerberg has the smarts to do this. But is it worth putting up with? And what she concludes with at the end of this date is hell no. There's no reason to endure his pettiness just because he's brilliant. I love her end line and i think it may be her end line that made me go and see this movie and aaron sorkin is just a genius writer but the line there is you're gonna go through life thinking girls don't like you because you're a nerd but i want to tell you from the bottom of my heart that's not true girls don't like you because you're an asshole I thought that was a fabulous line. (laughs) Yes. It was hysterical. And you want to see what happened after that. That got me in theaters. 
Yes. And I really like the irony that here is this kid obsessing about all the groups that he's not a part of, that he can't get into the Phoenix or how important it is to do this. And she's gotten him into the first club. They are underage and she knew the doorman and got him in there and got beers in their hands. I mean, knowing her did open doors for him, but all he can see is the closed doors. He is completely a negative Nelly and he can only see the downside of things. And that is why the date goes so bad. And and ironically, for the rest of the movie, all he's really thinking about, and it comes up again and again, is Erica and him wanting at the end to, in essence, be a part of her club and never going to get admittance to that club as badly as he wants it. And as much as that drove him to create Facebook, at least according to the story presented here, that's never going to happen. I actually really like how this is represented because normally when I see these types of movies, the closest parallel I can come to this is the made-for-TV movie Pirates of Silicon Valley about Bill Gates and Steve Jobs starring Anthony Michael Hall and Noah Weil, and that's a really good movie too. But when you start up that movie, it starts up in the late 60s, early 70s, and you're transported way back in time. Here, this starts up in 2003. So <laughs> instantly I'm feeling my age, I suppose, because I guess for the younger members of our audience, that would be a lifetime ago to them. But for me, I, I know exactly where I was. And I see Zuckerberg blogging on LiveJournal, which is a site that Facebook and MySpace effectively crushed. And I used to use LiveJournal before I moved on to Facebook. And it was very familiar because it's so recent and so grounded in reality. But I think that what this shows is pretty much that Zuckerberg didn't necessarily create something that hadn't been there before. Blogging sites had been there before. Photo sharing had been there before. He centralized it and the exclusivity it involved, the wanting to be in the club, much like he wanted to be in the clubs, made it popular. Absolutely. Everyone is now their own doorman to a world that they can control uh, or at least can control the perception of. And that at some point, even Justin Timberlake uh, makes the statement that, you know, at first we lived in the country and then we lived in cities and now we'll live on the Internet. This is really catching us in the moment with the movie's major thesis is this is the moment where we stopped living in the material world and started living in cyber reality and that this was the guy that popularized that. And I don't know how true I find that to be, really. It's not like Facebook was the first. Facebook is the most recent in a secession of popular sites. And it's going to lose its popularity one of these days. Someone's going to come up with something bigger and better. Even Twitter is not near as popular as it was a year and a half ago, and its growth has screeched to a halt. And I'm hesitant to give too much reliance to the pundits of sites like Newsweek and Time. I'm sorry, I called them sites when, in fact, they still do have a print form, Yeah, I guess. they might have <laughs> magazines still. I'm not really sure about that. But I keep reading about things like, my grandma's on Facebook. Facebook is so five minutes ago. There's articles of predicting I, I can agree with that because my father's on Facebook and he actually made a post that was OMG! Exclamation point. I declare Facebook over. <laughs> well, I don't know if your father saying OMG is the jump the shark moment. It sounds like <laughs> it, though. I will say this. If anything, we know that fashion is fickle and Facebook 
it remains to be seen whether this is a new way of life or just what we're doing this year. I tend to think, like you guys, I, I think one of my criticisms of the movie, and it's a light one, but it is a criticism, is that they are overstating the importance of this moment. That Facebook is not this transcendent experience that defines a generation. As much as the screenwriter tries to make that case and make some brilliant points and social commentary along the way, I find it a little bit incredulous that this story is that important and that defining. Well, again, I'm going to disagree. I don't think that's what they're saying at all. Think about the scene where Sean Parker and Eduardo meet and he's saying, I brought down the record industries. And Eduardo's like, well, the record industries are still there and you're not a part of anything anymore. I think that Sorkin is savvy enough to realize this is transient and that it's not Facebook that makes this movie important. Facebook is not why I went and saw this movie. Why I went and saw this movie is because the trailer looked good and I like Fincher. But what makes this movie good isn't the fact that it's about the guy who created Facebook. It's because it has a lot of great interpersonal drama and a lot of Sorkin trademark rat-a-tat humor dialogue. You can actually take Facebook out of this movie and just substitute a generic company and probably still have the same powerful movie. The Facebook part adds something relevant to what we've got now because honestly, the creation of Facebook is probably the most boring thing in the whole world if not were for this drama. And I think that there's a lot of companies that go through this. It's a common thing where people screw other people and they're best friends. But how many have rowing champion identical twins? Yeah, that was a bonus because they were kind of cute. They make excellent villains. They do. A six foot five Nordic, we are Harvard, we can do anything, bullies. They just lack the name of Blaine and Biff. I mean, what are their names? Cameron and Tyler? Yeah. It's not much different. I mean, Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss, it doesn't get more egalitarian than that. I mean, it doesn't get more elitist. Pretty waspy. Yeah, it's really just, it's so perfect. If this were a fictional story, I would say they've gone too far, but these guys exist. <laughs> I went, I saw pictures of them. They're just in unintentionally comedic. Just by their very existence, they are funny. Their portrayal on the screen wasn't really too far off from their actual pictures. Because I went and looked at everyone's picture before we started this because I didn't know what any of these people really looked like. And they, like, pegged the Winklevi really well, I think, with the actors they chose. Not only did they peg them well, but they did an incredible CGI job on this. Could you explain? Because I'm at a loss now. I... I thought that they did split screen when we walked out of there. That is not what they did. Did they do digital face pasting? You got it. They hired two actors to, to portray this, but only one got to play the face. <laughs> and I feel so bad for that other guy because I'm sure he could have been equally as good. But whatever. No one will ever know that he was in the social network because his face is grafted out and they have digitally inserted the actor Army Hammer right on his face. And Josh Pence is the body double, is, is what he ends up being. That was just so that he had someone to play off of in a physical space. Because when you're an actor and you're playing the, you know, blue screen or nothing, you're going to only give so much of a performance. But if you're playing off of another person that's sitting right next to you and talking and bouncing lines off of you, chances are it's going to look more naturalistic. So as long as they can fake us with the CGI, and Fincher's gotten really good at this. You guys didn't see Benjamin Button, but the best thing about that movie 
is how amazing the CGI is in that movie. When I found out that Brad Pitt never appears on screen, did all of his work on blue screen, and they stuck him in those shots, I'm just, I'm telling you, it, it, it blows you away. Well, Josh Pence may not have his face in the movie, but at least his parents don't dislike him enough to name him Arm and Hammer. <laughs> Maybe he's the uh, godson of the fortune. Who knows? I mean, uh, we are dealing with these Harvard types. I think that they were really good in their dual role there with the face pasting because you got that creepy jockey vibe from them and they looked the part, really. I think they did a good job. Casting was spot on on this. Now, Stuart, you gave your one minor gripe. Here's my minor gripe. I think they spent too much time on the Winklevoss story because I understand it's true that they didn't sue initially and they tried to be Harvard men and do it through the Harvard channels of recourse instead of just going to court. But I never really got the why. And especially since the movie sets it up at the very beginning that we see Zuckerberg being deposed in this, all of these scenes of them hemming and hawing over do they sue really had no impact on me and it seemed to stretch it out a little too long. I like that. I like the conflict. I think it actually works because what a lot of the characters in this movie do is that they tie their identity up with something and that can actually come back to get them at a certain point. And for them, these guys are Harvard men. That means something. In fact, they want to create an exclusive website because everyone wants to date a Harvard man. And that's what they commissioned Zuckerberg to do. Well, ha ha ha. He's able to think much bigger than them. He ends up creating this Facebook phenomenon and they're left in the dust. If they hadn't been so obsessed with what Harvard was, they wouldn't be in this position. They would be a co-founder of Facebook, but they couldn't think outside the box and they couldn't think past it. And then when they realized that they had a case, they didn't want to sue another Harvard scholar because of the ethics of it. And it's the ethics that do them in. I think that they have to have that part in the movie, though, Arnie. And it is such a big part because what was unique about the story, he had two lawsuits sued by two different parties. And that was part of the portrayal of Mark Zuckerberg, big asshole. Now, I do think that the Winklevi's blustering when they go to the Harvard president was fantastic. I that love that scene. That was a very scene. funny scene. I think that it's perfect. They're like, well, he can't do that. We're going to go see the president. And I that, just broke your 300-year-old door. Yeah. I love that. I thought that scene was awesome because here's two rich boys who paid their tuition to Harvard, you know, didn't get the scholarships like pretty much 98% of the people who are at Harvard, and they run and... After daddy couldn't help them, they go to the president because it's not right. And I think it was great that they kind of had their asses handed to them by this president who didn't give a shit that their last name was Winklevoss. And even better, it's Larry Summers, who I don't know if you guys realize, but he was put on Obama's economic team and just had to resign because he is so in deep with all of this banks and bailouts. I mean, like... It was like literally putting one of the criminals in charge of the cleanup. So it's very satisfying to see him here as the self-absorbed person that he has come off as in this administration. Oh, I didn't even know that. That's good. I think the the Winklevoss's standout scene was when they lose the rowing match. Like they're destined to always come in second in life. They lost with Connect U. They lost the rowing match. And it's the moment that the score really jumped out at me was a Trent Reznor rendition of In the Hall of the Mountain King. It is one of the most just visually compelling moments of the whole movie. There's just something about the way it's shot and the music and the almost slow motion effects and cutting that they use. It's just a great sequence. And you do kind of 
feel for them just a little bit that they had to come in second. But at the same time, what are they greeted with? The news that Facebook has now infiltrated Cambridge and all of the, you know, English Ivy League schools. And they are again confronted with the failure of their Harvard dating site and how Zuckerberg, the kid that they are so much better than, has bested them yet again. They managed to turn their own failure on the crew team into the impetus to get back into the courtroom. Gloves are off. Harvard or not, this kid's going down. I have to say, even though in that way you can kind of look at them as bullies, and these are characters that I would be inclined to hate on site, Sorkin and Fincher did a great job of making them relatable because can you just imagine the salt constantly being rubbed in that wound again and again and again and again? I think they got that from that, but I don't think they were bullies because I think while they had a great idea, they weren't all that smart and weren't bullying. They just were like completely oblivious to the revolution passing them by. Oh, they didn't call in on this at all. It was all about Harvard for them. Mm -hmm. They wanted to promote themselves by promoting Harvard as a dating site. It wasn't even him. They had this other guy, Divya, who was really the, the guy that was just using their money. That's all they had. They had money. He was trying to put the business plan together. And Zuckerberg was brought in because of Face Smash. I mean, yeah, these guys were just the producers. They were the money men. They were just throwing around daddy's money. And I, I don't know. Did they have any legal right to Facebook? Did they have some say in the intellectual theft? Where I mean, were they correct? That's a gray area. I think they can make the argument that if he had been hired to do that and never turned in the work and then basically took the prototype of what they were talking about and expanded it into something much bigger, I don't know. I'd be very happy to get $65 million <laughs> out of that. Well, that's something I thought about quite a bit is did he or didn't he really rip them off? I mean, they were specifically talking about making a dating site, which isn't what Zuckerberg did. Right. And it was only for Harvard. It was right. never – not even other schools, much less 65 million users or however many are on Facebook but Five hundred million. Oh my! Their sticking point was when this all began. You only could get on Facebook if you had a Harvard.edu address. Yeah, that's what kind of killed it. Was what made it cool. The exclusivity is what ripped them off the most. Mm -hmm. And the movie certainly plays it off. Like at that moment, Zuckerberg's getting his inspiration when they're talking about it. And also, what are they offering Zuckerberg for programming? In the movie, they don't offer to pay him for the programming. They offer to fix his reputation from Face Mash and get him into the cool club. You know, they invite him into that one building, but they only let him into the bike room. Right. And it's like a whole tease that if he helps them, they'll give him social status. I'm, I'm sure that in real life there had to have been some kind of monetary compensation as well, but that's not what the yeah. movie portrays. No, no. And the movie's not about that. The movie is about, yes, social clubs as currency, that that is what is important to this generation and that Facebook allows everyone to have that now because you can either let people in as friends or not. Now, Arnie, I know you guys just did Karate Kid earlier this summer. You got to love that throwaway joke they had. In there. I thought it was awesome. I laughed hysterically. Oh, that was great about how they would How be does this look? How does this look? We look like we're chasing a kid around a gym and, and wearing skeleton costumes. That that had me laughing. Not yes, definitely because of the karate kid earlier. And what's funny is in the one way, at the beginning, the 
Winklevosses are kind of playing the same role that later Justin Timberlake as Sean Parker would play, the one who's kind of smooth talking Zuckerberg and offering this social status. But whereas Zuckerberg can see through the Winklevosses, perhaps because it's the kind of bullshit he's used to dealing with, as soon as Sean Parker shows up, Zuckerberg becomes totally starstruck. Well, there's a reason this guy actually did what he claimed. The Winklevosses never really did. But this guy did take down the music industry. Now, okay, the record companies are still putting out. But there's no doubt that file sharing has really severely crippled the sale of music, at least in the conventional CD, LP, cassette form. I mean, that's gone. And that has gone away. Yeah. And I got to say, it's pretty ironic and fun. It's real smart winking casting to cast Justin Timberlake, arguably the biggest or one of the biggest music stars of the past decade, as the guy who destroyed the record industry. I think he did a fabulous job. I love Justin Timberlake, though. <laughs> you you love him in all forms? I got to say, the guy's made a whole career out of confounding your expectations of him. I always put the guy in a box and then he always, you know, pulls his dick out of the box. Exactly. And it's like, <laughs> Did you see him in Alpha Dog, though? I have not seen him in that. I saw him in Black Snake Moan and I saw him in that dreadful Southland Tales. And both times I thought he did uh, a credible job in what was otherwise marginal to terrible movie making. Hey, he rocked Love Guru. Oh, God. <laughs> Well, I don't know anybody could have saved that. <laughs> but I, I got to say this. Justin Timberlake's always been a curiosity to me because he has this lover man appeal. But to me, I've never seen him that. I mean, he's kind of a nerd to me. <laughs> he's always seemed like a little nerdy kid. You know, it didn't help that he started out with NSYNC. You know, it was. OK, but what you don't know about him is he actually was winning pageants when he was five years old. I didn't know that about that. He's been doing this for a long time. And I thought he was really good because he walked in and he owned every scene and I could see how Mark Zuckerberg was just like oh my god here's this guy who's a nerd just like me and look what he's doing he's got girls he's got drugs he's got alcohol money money but he was homeless this is why the performance works for me is that they finally saw Timberlake the way I do which is kind of a nerd he's kind of a geek you know it's, it's never worked for me when he's tried to be cool and like hey baby girl I mean I don't there's just something <laughs> there's just something not convincing to me but I, I what I've been told is is it's because he can dance. And I'm certainly not going to take that away from him. That's what makes him hot. But I, I've never seen it. And this movie works so well because he is a nerd pretending to be cool. And he plays it to the hilt. He's great fun to watch in the movie. What's funny is I never put together what you just said, Stuart, about picking a big recording artist to play the guy who... Brought down the recording industry. I was wondering where Justin Timberlake would fit in. And he doesn't come in until well past a third of the way into the movie. I sat there, actually, to be honest, Wondering if I missed him somehow. I'm like, wow, he really is a chameleon. But when he shows up, he is playing this rock star-like person. So I kind of figured he was cast, not so much for the winking reason. I thought it was just because Sean Parker was supposed to be the rock star, sex, drugs, and internet. So who better to cast than somebody who could play that slick cool? And, you know, I am, again, predisposed to hate Justin Timberlake because of the sync thing. Can you forgive him for that, really? His SNL appearances have helped because he's he actually funny. is very funny he's on those. He's comedy. And, yeah, I thought he was really good in this. I would honestly not be surprised if he got a Best Supporting Actor nom for this. Nomination? Yeah. Not, not win. a win. 
Yes, I agree. I agree. <laughs> he could get dominated. He cannot win. But it's a very good performance. The interesting thing that Timberlake does, not only is he the, yes, the rock star promoter who steals Zuckerberg away from his one true friend, Eduardo, but he also reintroduces really the memories we have about Erica, the girl at the first. Because if you remember, when Zuckerberg blogged about Erica, what did he attack? Her boob size. He said, quote, that she got help from Victoria's Secret. Well, who's on the arm of Justin Timberlake but a Victoria's Secret model? And then he goes on to tell a story about how Victoria's Secret was created. It essentially came out of one man who wanted to help out his wife, a very simple personal story, and it led to a multi-billion dollar industry that left him behind and he jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge and killed himself. And through that story, we are reminded of how Facebook got created and how it comes down to one guy jilted by one girl. It was an interesting parallel. I actually thought the parallel was more towards the role of Eduardo because Eduardo is the one who kind of gets screwed out of what becomes the multi-billion dollar company. No, no. I mean, I hear what you're saying in that, no, Zuckerberg doesn't lose the ball. He remains in control of his company. He is the CEO, bitch, <laughs> but he does not get the girl. And he is, if we are to follow the narrative of this story, it's completely fictionalized because he is happily with another woman and has been since the creation of Facebook. This, this Erica does not exist. But this fictional composite girlfriend, the one that got away, is what drove him. The person that cursed him to be socially awkward is what has driven him to create the social network. And that is truly one of the failings. Like I said, we're reviewing this movie as a movie, but it really portrays this as his driving force. When, in fact, yeah, he is engaged or his fiance, at least according to Wikipedia, is when he met his sophomore year of college. I think she's supposed to be Christy. Is that the Asian who blows him in the bathroom? Alice is the one that blows him in the bathroom. Okay. Christy is the one that ends up hanging around. And Christy ends up being Eduardo's girl. And she sort of represents an extreme version of what happens to a Facebook obsessive. Because by the end of it, she goes completely fatal attraction psycho on Eduardo. And it's like, you didn't update your status from single to in a relationship. And she's so... <laughs> hooked into Facebook and just so crazy about needing to know where he is at all times. She represents the worst about what living online and social media does to people. It makes them psycho. And this girl is totally crazy psycho. Now, Zuckerberg's real girlfriend, not psycho, or at least not that I know of. But I think that that character is sort of a, an attempt to bring into the fact that there is a Chinese woman in Zuckerberg's life. I, I think it also drives home the fact, though, that Eduardo is so far removed from Facebook that he doesn't even know how to update his own profile. I don't think that was bullshit. I think he really was so focused on the real world of his internship and this Facebook thing was just this little side gig that would blow over. And it kind of portrays him in a way that you could see why he got screwed and perhaps even feel like he was justified in losing his 30% share in the company. Yes. Well, you know, Eduardo is, I think, the truly sympathetic character here. I mean, we may like some aspects of Zuckerberg's brain or his panache or his insolence or his comebacks, but he's kind of hard to totally embrace. Whereas Eduardo is someone we really feel for because he was there right from the get-go. He remains a true and diligent friend. And we see that Mark 
if his story is to be corroborated, then really betrays him to push the company forward. I think that it seemed that there was part missing with Eduardo, that somehow it just wasn't all there and there's stuff left out to get the whole picture of what we were seeing. But you did feel the tension and pain and maybe... Andrew Garfield and Jesse Eisenberg are just really great actors, but if it's like you're sitting in the room with them and you could feel the tension. I thought they did a wonderful job in all those scenes. I agree. I thought that those were some of the best scenes, but I love how Eisenberg played it, where even on the scenes where they're like working together and they're good friends, it's both Eisenberg's delivery and Sorkin's writing that it always ends with, well, you probably were just let into the club for a minority reason, but don't let that stop you. Have fun. But didn't you feel that maybe they could have portrayed more of their strained relationship? I think they portrayed it well enough. I mean... It just felt like one was going this direction, one was going this direction, but it seemed like there was maybe more interaction between the two. Not in the deposition or anything, but just in general that caused more of the falling out. That's the only part I found fault with, and not even big enough to even worry about, but it was always kind of in the back of my head since we've seen it. I got all I needed to out of it, and maybe it's because I work on this podcast that I see all of the fights between monetization of an online resource and wanting to keep the online resource ad-free and cool. See our Child's Play retrospective donation drive for further proof. (laughs) But I just, I got all I needed to out of it. I honestly wish I could have seen them more as friends, as best friends, because it seems like in the movie, Zuckerberg only goes to Eduardo when he needs something. He's Mm -hmm. constantly using Eduardo. I need your code for how you calculated the chess people. I need your money and you can be the CFO and have a 30% share. And when Eduardo stops riding the Zuckerberg train, he gets kicked off. To me, it was pretty clear that the way that Sorkin has set this up is that Eduardo is the dutiful friend and Zuckerberg is the user. And that he cannot stand the fact that Eduardo got into the Phoenix Club or at least was on the road to getting in the Phoenix Club, and he was not. And that there is this apocryphal story that got planted about Eduardo feeding his pledged chicken, chicken from the cafeteria. (laughs) Which was hysterical. I hope it's true, but it's just funny. Not that I hope it's true for the cannibalistic chicken, but it's just so (laughs) funny. It was a strange, strange turn of events and the fact that it even comes up in the court case and it's perceived almost as slander. It's almost too over the top to believe, but perhaps there's some truth in it. I don't know, but it doesn't make Zuckerberg look very good here because the way they've written the story is Eduardo is the one true friend. And I don't know that that's totally true because what really gets lost here, I mean, Marjorie, you were saying that you didn't feel like there was enough of Eduardo and Mark together as friends. But the other roommates barely register, and they're all Facebook creators. I mean, Chris Hughes and Dustin Moskovitz are a part of the company, too, and were with the company even after Eduardo was given his go-away pay. I think the difference is they were the ones who went out to California and were programming all the time and bungee jumping into the pool or zip lining into the pool. Zip lining off the chimney. Mm -hmm. Whereas Eduardo stayed back east. And I also think it works for this movie's narrative to say that Mark Zuckerberg had one friend and he threw him away to create a friend community. 
Yeah, it, absolutely. As with any biopic, it's manipulative and condenses multiple characters down for the sake of poetic license economic storytelling yeah yes and it works i mean i don't need for this to be a hundred percent true i'm not going to quote this for a term paper and cite it for references <laughs> this is a story not so much about the real mark zuckerberg and how facebook got created but how we can all sort of get hooked up into this mentality of being loved by the world and not having one true friend stand by you. I think that there is a cautionary tale to this. And I think what's surprising, like I said, again, for me is seeing how much of this is viewed as negative, how dark the movie is literally and tonally and the lines. It's almost like Fincher sees no joy in what Zuckerberg has created here, that it is only a miasma of he said, he said, and hurt feelings and people done wrong. And I guess if I got another criticism, I would say there's probably a little bit more positivity here than Fincher would like to admit, that there's things to celebrate here, that what Zuckerberg has done is truly impressive and should be a I, you know, as as the character would say himself to the advisory board of Harvard, I deserve a little credit. <laughs> Did you guys feel like maybe it undersold the value of Facebook and what had been done? No, because I think that they made Facebook too much of the movie. It would just be crap that you wouldn't want to see. Because if it was a movie with more Facebook in it, I don't think I would have enjoyed it as much. And my thinking is that in three years, we'll be like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember Facebook. The Internet is so fast paced, so moving. I mean, remember, it was what? Six years ago that the record companies really felt that CDs could return to dominance if only they stopped Sean Parker and Napster. The movie points that out. I don't think that it's understating Facebook's importance in this moment as it did just announce its 500 millionth user fairly recently. But long-term impact in your summary, Stuart, you talked about how it revolutionized communication. No, it's just a next step in the evolution. And evolution on the internet is extraordinarily rapid, and we will move to something else, I believe. Well, well, then let me rephrase the question. Don't you think that we could perceive where we're headed as something that is positive as well as having negative consequences? This movie seems to want to say, it seems to be a big tenet of this, is if you write something, it is in stone. That drunken thoughts you have about a girl that just broke your heart will become a part of your permanent record, will be a scar <laughs> on your face, and that you will have to carry that. Because in this day and age, in this culture, there's nothing that gets forgotten. It all remains. And that's true. I mean, I see kids, you know, that they go for job interviews and all of this, and they're the same people that have postings of their drunken behavior with illegal substances. And I'm like, you know that your bosses can see this, right? You know <laughs> that this can be accessed, right? I think it's great that there's a cautionary tale element to this because I do think we need to be careful about living so transparently and open. That said, is it so bad? I mean, this is written by a bunch of old guys who can only see the negativity of where we're headed and not the beauty of it. There is that line where Justin Timberlake is warning them that anything you've done will come out. There is no privacy anymore. When they're talking, he's talking about Zuckerberg becoming public figure, but really he could be just as well speaking to any Facebook user. And that is 
a real life concern. There's a lot of real life issues around Facebook. Again, this is why I say it's not a movie about Facebook. This movie doesn't incorporate the fact that people complain that you have no privacy on Facebook because everything you do is mined and sold to advertisers and it's difficult to stop content being out there about you. Very recently, they added this new places feature where you can check in someplace and check in somebody with you. And there was an article on MSNBC about how you could check in that you're at a strip club with your coworker when only you are, but your coworker's boss will now see that your coworker might be there with you. Well, and- here, here's a big rule that everyone should know, and I suspect that you're a smart person because you're downloading this podcast, but don't be friends on Facebook with your boss or coworkers. But if your friend is friends with your mutual boss, it's just as bad in many cases. True. Yeah, I don't think you can think like you can control it once it's out there. I think that's part of what he's saying is that you breaking up with your girlfriend in a bar doesn't end there. And consequently, we look at Zuckerberg as this awful guy who who said all these horrible things when that should have just been a youthful indiscretion. Like that was something that happened and he got his heart broken and he should have learned from and that moment should be forgotten. Not, not by him, but by the world. And instead... It remains a living record that for the rest of his life, he will have to live with the words that he said when he was drunk and 19 and sitting at his computer. And that's sort of the cautionary tale element of this. But I want to remind people that connecting masses amounts of people... I mean, think of how many stories about where people who haven't known where where they ended up have reconnected from grade school on. The amount of people that have been touched and moved by this social network shouldn't be undervalued. And Barack Obama, like him or not, you have to marvel at the achievement of his rise in presidency and his campaign donations at the way the Internet was able to mobilize it and generate the money that it took for him to get into the office. That would not have happened. And it's, I think, interesting to note that one of the programmers, Chris Hughes, one of these guys that did Facebook, he was the guy that put Obama in the White House. He was the one that that did that Internet campaigning. I definitely agree with you on that. But to take it back one step, what you said about the marvel of being able to reconnect with people you hadn't before. True story. This guy who used to try to beat me up in high school just sent me a Facebook friend request. Is this really (laughs) something that I needed? And he's like, how are you? I remember you. I'm like, and I remember you too, fuckhead. (laughs) Actually, truth be told, I didn't. I had to go to the yearbook and see what he looked like then when he had hair. (laughs) Oh, you have a thick head of luxurious hair. Yes, I do. But (laughs) I don't know if you need to be his friend or not, but I know you don't need to know what's happening on his farm or in his (laughs) mafia place. God, I hate Farmville. Oh, God. So many updates about people wanting to give me food or something like, (laughs) really, I got to say, I don't want to know about your farm. (laughs) But this brings us back to the end of the movie, and it brings us back to Erica, the girl at the beginning of the movie. And I got to say, I really love this moment. I'm not sure I totally buy the moment before, which is that there has been this legal assistant played by Rashida Jones, who has been sort of following Zuckerberg throughout the trials and the hearings and who has a line that echoes what was said by Erica at the beginning of the movie, and that is, you're not an asshole, you're just trying too hard to be one. I'm not sure that line really landed the way that it should. I mean, who was she to make that kind of judgment? 
I know that it was important to have a woman reconsider him after he being cursed to never being understood or liked by a woman again. But what's interesting is that we are asked to believe much like Charles Foster Kane and Citizen Kane or Howard Hughes in The Aviator, that there is one person, one figure or one object that has led them throughout their life towards one goal, and it is Erica. Did you guys see that coming? Did you see her coming back into the story at the end? Okay, I did not see Erica coming back at all. I actually thought he was starting to like Rashida Jones a little bit and was going to friend her. Well, and she he was, was the lead in I Love You, Man, so yeah. the lead actress. So you'd and think she's on she, The Office. You'd think she'd have a bigger part than she does. But I thought that's where that was going, is he was going to ironically use his creation to friend her, you know, in the interest of dating her. That said, him asking her to dinner came out of... I mean, I saw it coming because it was a movie, mm-hmm. but I never saw it coming as far as anything that would actually happen. Yeah. I think she was seduced by it. You know, she asked him early about the numbers that he got from Face Smash, and she's impressed. You know, she's trying to be professional, but she's got kind of a crush on him, and I think she wanted to tell him that. And in her way, I think that line about you're just trying to be, I think that was her way of saying professionally, I can't date you, but I do think that you have some value. It's a way of turning what Erica said back in on itself, but he can't even hear it. He wants to stay late after everyone leaves and just obsessively re- Refresh, 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 and see if Erica, who we now know from her Facebook photo, is married, that is her in a bridal gown, will accept and forgive him after all of these years. And I got to say, not likely. Of course, this bothered me because I was actually really impressed with this movie during the early scenes where they're coding face mash and they're coding Facebook. I was really impressed with how Fincher portrayed the coding and did it with the voiceover talking about... All of the technical tools that are used. And that was all real stuff. Everything said there is real and can really be done with the Emacs scripts and all of that. And I was so impressed with all of that realism because it's very hard to make any kind of computer activity visually exciting. Because it's sitting there with a blue light <laughs> shining at you. And I've it's seen it done. Yeah. I've seen it done so poorly. Hackers, I mentioned earlier. Were they on rollerblades wearing virtual reality gear and well, hackers? They, they were on rollerblades. <laughs> Let's not, you know, mince it here. Come on, Stuart. And then there was the movie Swordfish, where Hugh Jackman is a hacker because, you know, hackers always have six pack abs. They do. And that All was completely done graphically and perhaps the absolute worst one was the harrison ford movie oh the bank one yeah firewall with the ipod anytime there's a scene where it's time related to a computer is done so poorly fincher did it well and very realistically so i was so disappointed at the end come on he coded the page he does not need to send a friend request he is the super admin he could see whatever he wanted no, I mean, logistically, it makes no sense. Narratively, the story they, they're they telling, this is Rosebud. This is the mother with the glass of milk. This is the figure that is driving him. And this is the only club he wants to be a member of. Ironically, they were dating. They were in the same club together. And the rest of the movie, all he wants to do is get back to that moment and change it. And he can't change that moment because, damn it, he blogged about it. And that's forever. The other way to look at this, the kind of the way I saw it was not so much that, but he asked a girl out in real life. She said no. And so he retreated to his online world of his own creation. Oh, good one. Thank you. (laughs) And honestly, 
the whole ending kind of felt off to me. First of all, that line, you're not an asshole, you're trying too hard to be. Not only did, wasn't it coming from the right character, but it, it's not true. I never saw him trying to be an asshole. In certain, I think he just was. You can either read that he was because he stole the Winklevoss's idea and screwed his friend. I'm sorry, it's Winklevi. Or he wasn't and he was completely manipulated and the puppet of Sean Parker. But however you look at it, he never sat there trying to put on airs of assholishness. His attitude and his demeanor, funny as it is to watch on a screen and the wonderful delivery Eisenberg gives all of those lines, like when the lawyer asks if he's being given his full attention. I mean, it's just a great set of lines. But no, he's not trying to be an asshole. He's completely succeeding. He is true to himself. They don't make a case for anything else. I mean, he's wearing the same old worn out gap clothes at the after he becomes a billionaire that he was before. And in fact, he just gave away a bunch of money to the New Jersey school system. He's not really materialistic. He's not really driven to be something that he's not. Despite being seduced by Sean, I would say that he has more or less been true to himself. And whatever that is, however you typify that, whether it's an asshole or an innovator, from the get-go. That's one of the other big concerns that this movie never touched upon, is he talks about how he developed this program that Microsoft wanted to buy, but instead he just uploaded it for free. And how he didn't want the money from Facebook, and he's intentionally sabotaging deals with ad buyers, and... I don't think that if you aren't someone steeped in programming and open source and hacker mentality, that that's going to play to a broad audience. Because what you have, especially with the younger generation, is that they believe all information should be free. And it's kind of a socialist mentality. It's ironic that the world's youngest billionaire was somebody who wasn't concerned about money. This is true to his character, though, is he very much is open source. Facebook itself is a platform built on open source, meaning he took a lot of the code for free off the internet from other people and has made himself an open platform with Facebook. I learned myself how to program using Facebook's language today to make this a Facebook-exclusive podcast. So there's a lot of openness there that I have to say wasn't covered by the same token isn't interesting to probably the majority of non-programmer people, but... It's that kind of mentality that drives both Zuckerberg and Sean Parker in real life. Sean Parker thinking that music should be free and all of this. It wasn't that he was trying to get it for himself. It's more of a political belief that a lot of hackers, and I mean true hackers as in coders, not hackers as in Angelina Jolie breaking a firewall, have. And that was glossed over, and I don't know how well it played. Stuart, you're not a programmer or hacker. Did, did this play well to you? Oh, I, it's there. I, this is what the movie is about. Is it about this mentality and that if you choose to live this openly, you were opening yourself up to dangers. I mean, I really feel like Sorkin sees this as a threat. He sees this ideology of youth as, boy, they just don't know what's coming if they live lives like this. And while there is truth to that, and I respond to that, and I'm Generation X, so you know I'm cynical. I don't 
go with groupthink. I'm always trying to be alternative. I mean, that was our whole generation. You never wanted to be taking what the baby boomers handed to you. So I, it's hard for me to relate sometimes to millennials, but this is the millennial ethic. Yes, it's very socialist. It's yes, let's work together. Let's make it all free. Let's not try to make it about you or me or whatever. And let's just build the best network that we can. And there's beauty in that too. And I think the social network, the movie failed to see enough of the beauty in it, that it is rather much more one-sided in its cynicism. And that's a big criticism I have of it. It was a smart movie. I got to say, Aaron Sorkin has the utmost respect from me because such tripe as the American president, a movie that I would not be disposed oh, that's to a like. Good movie, though. It's a great movie. Yeah. And he wrote that he, his dialogue is always so hip and fast and funny that he makes mediocre stuff elevated and every line here crackled and it was a great combination of writing directing and acting across the board i keep going back to eisenberg as the acting but across the board even the winklevi were so well cast and delivered their lines so well that yeah i was laughing through this as you have called it a dark film but it is certainly very funny. You know what? I'm a new convert to Sorkin. I didn't see West Wing, and I know that's what he's beloved for. I did see Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. I thought Ooh. it was horrible. It's horrible. But I could tell it was it was the wrong thing. He was still in West Wing mode, and he was treating Saturday Night Live like it was delivering a world conference on nuclear arms. I mean, it was, we've got to get the comedy to the people. I don't know if you ever saw that show, but it was, there's a reason why 30 Rock is still on the air, and it is not. But uh, <laughs> I will say this. The writing is super sharp here, and that all of this plays out very, very well. The themes, all of it is honed, precise, and he's just perfectly matched with Fincher's fastidious attention to detail. So I guess that leaves Marjorie. Stewart, do you recommend The Social Network? Marjorie. Oh, absolutely. Don't see it because you're a Facebook user because you'll be sorely disappointed. Don't go in expecting Facebook, the movie. It's a great movie. It's deep. However, I usually, when I see a movie like this, want to read the book. Although I think I'm not going to on this one because the book is got some mistruths in it. Not sure about the movie. I don't want to know. I just enjoyed the movie like it was. It was great. It was dramatic. There's a lot of emotional tension. I think Andrew Garfield... Maybe there's hope for him as a new Peter Parker. I don't know. I'd like to think so after seeing this. Jesse Eisenberg, I will see him in anything now. And it was a really well put together movie that you could actually feel the emotion in. Stuart. Whatever misgivings I have about them overstating the themes, across the board, everything here works exceptionally well. Great direction, great acting, great cinematography by Jeff Cronenweith. He is the son of the man who shot Blade Runner. He learned a lot from Daddy. Beautiful look to this movie. The music by Trent Reznor. Who would have thought Nine Inch Nails could make a score that would sync up with a drama, but they've done it. It's Everything is so perfectly matched, and everyone is on top of their game. I really liked everything about the movie, and I think that, yes, it's a movie to be seen on the big screen. It ranks with Inception, as far as I'm concerned, as one of the best of the year. And I agree with both of you. I highly recommend this. And 
I think that our audience, our now playing audience, we normally review the more commercial stuff. I think that this is a commercial picture, but I guess it's a sheep in wolf's clothing because it's a commercial picture that if you just think about it as a biopic about a computer programmer, doesn't sound like a commercial picture. It sounds like an HBO movie, you know, it sounds like something. Yes. I mean, they, they did that movie about the late show and it feels like it should be on TV, right? But they made it cinematic. They did. And it's just a credit to, again, Fincher, Sorkin, and all the talents involved here. I loved Eisenberg in Zombieland, and I think he's even better here. And I think that, yeah, I'm trying to avoid hyperbole, but this is the best movie I've seen this year. It ranks above Inception. I have no qualms with this movie. I can't pick it apart too much. I just really had a great time watching this, and I felt like I was given thought-provoking questions, many of which we talked about here. And the other reason we're doing this podcast is because this is a movie that I walked out of and I went, I want to talk about this movie. I want to talk to people about this. This movie made me think, and I want to see what other people thought about this movie. And how great is that, after just doing Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, to see a movie where we actually have shit to say? (laughs) Heidi ho! (laughs) It's satisfying to come away feeling like you've had a, a great meal, as opposed to killed a couple hours. Yeah, but here I felt both, because... So often movies like this, for me, can feel like homework, like The Aviator. And I just am sitting there, and yeah, it's like if I am to take your meal analogy, perhaps I'm more fast food, but what you consider a good meal is giving me the big plate of greens and going, it's good for you, but it tastes like shit. Here you got the nice combination where it tastes good going down and is good for you, and that is very rare in a movie. Highly recommend, don't underestimate this movie. Don't write it off based off topic or based off the fact that it doesn't look exciting. It is exciting. It is thrilling. It is funny. High, high recommend. Your favorite Fincher film? No. No. (laughs) Fight Club still ranks above just because this isn't a movie that I feel like I could just revisit again and again and again. I can never get bored of watching Fight Club. I watched Fight Club two days in a row when I first saw it, and I still love everything about Fight Club. Fight Club just still his number one, but this outranks seven as his number two. Yeah, I think it's on par with Fight Club. I definitely feel like it's up there, and it's not as nihilistic, it's not as crazy and adventuresome, it's much more of a pent-down drama, but it's still, I don't know, It's it's. I think Fincher is on top of his game. I don't think he's ever been better behind the camera. Yeah, I gave this a shot because of Fincher, and Fincher, you know, because of Seven and Fight Club, redeemed himself from Alien 3 and... I, I've I've forgiven him for Panic Room. Hey, we'll we'll save the Alien Three for that <laughs> podcast. Marjorie Stewart, thank you for joining me for this review. Well, thank you for having me in the Arnie and Stewart show. <laughs> and Stuart, Marjorie, I hope you'll both still be my Facebook friend after this. Marjorie, you kind of have to. You're my wife. No, I don't have to. <laughs> I like this. Click. <laughs> And you can be our Facebook friend. If you're listening to this, you already are because this is our Facebook exclusive podcast. But if this is the first one you're hearing because one of 
the other Facebook fans recommended it, head to our website at nowplayingpodcast.com and you can hear our reviews on other big movies from this year, such as The Karate Kid and Inception that Stuart just mentioned. And Human Centipede. <laughs> and <the> Human Centipede. <laughs> Which is out on Blu-ray right now. Still a movie I will never, ever forget. Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. And you can also listen to our retrospective series. We did a Predator retrospective series, a Nightmare on Elm Street retrospective series. Did you guys notice, tying in with Nightmare on Elm Street, we had Rooney Mara, Nancy from the new Elm Street. That was her as Erica. I did notice that because she looks like she's sucking her cheeks in all the time. You know what I mean? Like the models that do that. It just, she has an unnatural face. I, and when she, she was like, crying upset i realized it was nightmare on elm street <laughs> we're currently doing a texas chainsaw massacre retrospective series and one other little fact michael deluca his first he produced this movie his first movie he ever produced believe it or not leatherface texas chainsaw massacre 3 so he he went on to work again he made this movie so there's there's a there's a true success story even better than facebook i would say is you can go from the dredges of a horror franchise to making one of the most solid movies of the year congrats to mike deluca indeed sir and we are having a donation drive right now where if you donate ten dollars or more to now playing using the donate button at the bottom of our homepage, you will get our exclusive child's play retrospective series as our thank you to you for supporting now playing and help paying our bandwidth costs and keeping us on the internet and if you donate above and beyond ten dollars by a bit we're not saying exactly how much you get our san diego comic-con exclusive review of i know who killed me which is <laughs> it's just, it's worth a listen and not to be immodest <laughs> well Stuart, you and i will be back next week with another installment of child's play and texas chainsaw massacre 4 so we'll talk to you then thank you for listening to now playing be sure to head to our website nowplayingpodcast.com and listen to our other movie reviews including our in-depth movie series retrospectives of such film franchises as star trek terminator a nightmare on elm street and more and while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can find a link to our forums where you can discuss these films, as well as links to our Facebook and Twitter pages, where you can read our movie mini-reviews and chat with other listeners about the show. If you enjoy Now Playing, please support the show. You can find a link to donate to the show using PayPal from our homepage, or you can buy Now Playing t-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more at the Now Playing Cafe Press store. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2010. Yes, Marjorie. Who's Brenda Strong? Song. Brenda Song. S-O-N-G. Who's Brenda Song? She's an actress. Who did she play? Uh, Christy. Yeah, the crazy Asian who set the thing on fire. Why would you pick her name? Because she's fourth build. She is a... Uh, no, we'll talk about it in a minute. Okay, because I was confused. She's not even in IMDb. I just go by the first four on Wookie, Wiki. Okay. Wookie? Um, Wookie? <laughs> He's getting his podcast. <laughs> I can't do it. If I could, I would. It'd be a better joke. That was like Barney on The Simpsons belching. <laughs> it was closer to that, yes. I'm a big Fincher fan, even though I... <laughs>
<laughs> I'm sorry, that just really sounds dirty. I like finching. Do you like finching? <laughs> You're thinking of filching. I know, it just sounds filthy, though. Do you like to fincher? I like to fincher. Let's fincher together. I feel unclean. <laughs> stay on topic. Stay on topic. I have to edit this fucker, and I was hoping I wouldn't have to edit this. <laughs> yeah, right. I wanna fuck you like an animal. <laughs> and then I'll friend you on the Facebook. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I would mean, hope it, if you fuck me like an animal, you'd friend me on Facebook, for Christ's it's, sake. It's not a guarantee, Arnie. It is not a guarantee. <laughs> Leave me bloodied on the floor and then don't accept my friend request, asshole. I, I will if I finch you, though. <laughs> Wow, we're going to have a PG-rated podcast with triple X-rated bloopers. <laughs>